I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. This Saturday, 29th of April, is Donald Trump's 100th day in the White House. And we've come to Texas to hear what people make of their president, his performance at home and abroad, his proposed border war with Mexico, the direction of their country, and whether he is living up or down to their expectations. Texas has become the cornerstone of Republican support in national elections, but it's a diverse place and it's changing. Voters here back Donald Trump by a smaller margin than any Republican presidential candidate for 20 years. Their verdict in four years will be crucial. We're here to find out what they think of what they've seen so far. Hello, I'm Kevin Colwitt, the director of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and I'm here in sunny Texas with Elise Jordan, MSNBC political analyst and columnist for Time magazine. Kevin, it's so good to have you and the Lord Ashcroft Polls team back across the pond. Let's remind ourselves of some of the main events of President Trump's first 100 days. Only days after his inauguration in January, President Trump signed executive orders on issues including Obamacare, regulation, immigration and restrictions on travel from seven Muslim-majority countries. He withdrew the U.S. from the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal negotiated by his two predecessors, and British Prime Minister Theresa May became the first foreign leader to visit the Trump White House. In February, the Senate confirmed several of the president's cabinet nominations, including Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. North Korea tested a ballistic missile while Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe visited the president's Palm Beach Resort, Mar-a-Lago. And National Security Advisor Mike Flynn resigned after only 24 days on the job following allegations that he had lied to the vice president about contact with the Russian ambassador regarding sanctions. In March, President Trump withdrew a proposed bill to reform Obamacare when it became clear it did not have the support of the Republican-held House of Representatives. And this month, federal appeals court Judge Neil Gorsuch was confirmed at the Supreme Court. Trump launched airstrikes on Syria in response to the Assad regime's use of chemical weapons and hosted Chinese President Xi Jinping. In the past week, the president has announced his plan for an overhaul of the tax code. All of this executive action gave us plenty to discuss this week in our focus groups with voters from all walks of life in two locations, San Antonio and a once solidly Republican district of Houston, which voted in November for Hillary Clinton. Later, we'll hear what they had to say. President George W. Bush calls Karl Rove the architect of his election victories. Seven months after their first interview, Lord Ashcroft caught up with him in Austin, the Texas state capital, and began by asking how the Trump White House differs from the White House he himself worked in under President Bush. Well, I think it's more freewheeling. There's less uh, sort of formal processes to arrive at decision making. Um, It's a big learning curve. Having never served in government, uh, he's learning things that, uh, that Governor Bush of Texas had learned either by being governor or had observed by the fact that his father had been vice president for eight years and not having experience in government. There's a lot of both how to deal with Congress and what the priorities ought to be and how to execute that that, that, that this president is learning. And there's a a general slowness that uh, I don't know where it it springs from. But, for example, we have a government with 2,633,000 civilian employees two years ago. We don't know how many we have today because they're still counting them. But that's a big government, a big establishment of government. 
but a president only has about 4,000 appointments that he gets to make, 970 of which require confirmation by the Senate. And these senior members of the government, of those 970, 95 have been nominated, which is far less than any previous president uh, as we near the 100th day. Well, obviously, President Trump has an unorthodox governing style compared to anything that right. we have seen right. before. Do you think that that is a hindrance to his achieving what he wants to achieve, or is he just keeping it to his promise to shake things up in Washington? Well, he's going to shake things up, no doubt about that. Um, and look, he, there is a fundamental difference between running a you know, commercial real estate empire where you're focused on building a golf course or buying a building or upgrading a hotel or signing branding agreements. I think he's himself acknowledged that this is complicated, far more complicated than he thought. Some of the skills that he has as a real estate developer, persuasion, schmoozing, trying to come uh, cobble together a deal, having flexibility and and a sort of fluidity to his style, that, that's helpful. But uh, governing is tough work, and particularly when it comes to dealing with Congress. Um, some of the things that you might do in a real estate deal, you know, bark at your, the person across the table and threaten to walk away. Uh, when you're president, you can't do that. You can't have a, one of your senior aides get people in a room and say to them, basically, you have no option but to do what we tell you to do, because that's not the way the government works. You know, our research, both before and since the election, has shown that Trump's voters have very high expectations of him, especially when it comes to bringing back jobs, improving the economy, and preventing uh, illegal immigration. Do you think he's going to be able to achieve those expectations? And if not, what would prevent him? Yeah. Look, I think there's an expectation. The expectations about illegal immigration are being uh, met. I mean, I don't think they were tied to any particular thing. Just that they want, what they wanted was a sense that the illegal immigration was going to be confronted and would diminish. And I think there's pretty good evidence that's already happening. People are, are, are sensing that. But the other two will require policy changes. There, there was a certain amount of animal spirits unleashed by the, the election of business people saying we're going to be living in a better regulatory environment. There's a chance for a tax cut. Government is going to be more responsive to the needs of, of, our, of our economy. Uh, but that can only last so long. And he's got to get a tax cut uh, that is pro-growth in nature and actually does stimulate economic growth. He's got to be in a place where the government doesn't shut down, uh, where the regulatory burden continues to be lifted. And he's done a pretty good job in that regard, and there will be some long-term ramifications of that. But, uh, and he's got a little bit of time. Uh, but by the time we get around to next year and the election, people better feel that the economy is better, their own personal circumstances have improved, their future prospects have improved for them and their children, or, or the Republicans won't have the energy and enthusiasm they need at the midterms. Another thing that emerged from uh, my research is that President Trump's support comprises both the ideological conservatives who make up much of the Republican base, and in fact I've called them the Fox News militants, mm -hmm. and more working class voters who had been less politically engaged and had more practical concerns healthcare, jobs, etc. Right. Do you think Trump is going to be able to please both those groups and hold his voting coalition together? Well, that's the big question. Um, but I think there's a way to do that, yes. I mean, because one thing that united them was they wanted, uh, on the positive side, they wanted uh, something to be done to keep our, make our borders safer. That's happening. They wanted our foreign policy to be one of strength, and they've seen that thus far. 
They wanted our military to be stronger, and they wanted Supreme Court justices who were conservative and would strictly interpret and apply the law and not legislate from the bench. On the plus side, they've seen all of that. On the other side, they, they wanted Obamacare repealed and replaced with something better, and the administration didn't get that done. And they didn't get that done because the Republicans were divided. So there are two problems with that. One is the general sense that you can't govern, and then the specific sense of you promised to do that and didn't do it which is why they've got to continue to work that problem and get something done. They can't simply walk away from health care. And then the tax cut, which there, we should not have an expectation that either repeal and replace should be done by now or that the tax cut should be passed by now. Because, look, we had a highly contentious election, and in the Senate in particular, he has a 52-48 majority, uh, which is very thin. But, uh, by, again, by the time that people begin to think about what am I going to do in the midterm elections, I think they need to have both of those things done in order for people's expectations to have been met. What mark out of 10 would you give President Trump for his performance so far? And do you think he will ultimately turn out to be a better or worse president than people expect? I hate giving people grades because there are so many things going on now with regard to style and, and focus and discipline and structure that matter. And we try and rate them on have they gotten things done. And absent a couple of moments in American history, our process works so slowly that, I mean, we, we, were, we were lucky to get the Bush tax cuts done in June. And, and we had a Democrat chairman of the Senate Finance Committee who was willing to sit down and negotiate with us. This guy's got not a single Democrat on the other side who's willing to say, let's put the election behind us and see if we can come to common agreement on something. So I hate to, I hate to give him a, a, a mark on, on performance uh, because... You know, we're, we're seeing this unroll and develop, and, uh, and, and I don't have high hopes for what any president, let alone a guy who came through this election, could have achieved by now. I do worry that, you know, I, I like the fact he's got a strong cabinet. I got the fact that he has taken some of these early crises and handled them adroitly. I like the fact that he is showing a recognition that the relationships with foreign leaders involves a personal relationship between him and others, and he's learning from his mistakes in those and showing some skill in those relationships. But Congress is a different beast, and that's a difficult one. He started out with a good relationship with the Republican leadership in the House and Senate, and that was unexpected and good. But I do worry that he's tweeting too much, that he's involving himself in unnecessary controversies. Well, who, The American people don't care what he thinks of Meryl Streep's acting ability. They want him to be the president. They don't want to wake up each morning and find him conducting foreign policy in 140 characters or less. And I think by doing that, he damages his ability to keep the focus on his message and on important things and sounding, I know it sounds corny, but presidential. I mean, people really do expect uh, their president. To, I, I was in a meeting a couple of days ago with people who were clearly sympathetic to him. In fact, I would suspect 90% of the people in the room had voted for him. And when I and when somebody said, what would you like to see him do differently? I said, well, I'd like to see him tweet less. The room broke into spontaneous applause. These are business leaders who just, you know, it just grates on them. So I'm avoiding your direct question, but I think he's off to a good start in some respects. He's learning in others. he got a lot of work to do to get to the success that he needs to have. Let me just have a quick one on Texas in particular. And you know the politics of this state as well as anyone else who's lived here, Carl. And people think of Texas as the ultimate uh, red state. But... 
Trump won here by a narrower margin than uh, Mitt Romney in 2012. Why do you think that was? And are we heading at all towards Texas becoming a potential swing state over yeah. the next decade or so? Well, it could be, at, uh, not perhaps in the next decade, but beyond that it might. But I think he won uh, Texas with a smaller percentage than Mitt Romney did, for example, or John McCain. Because, look, part of our coalition in the state are college-educated, white-collar professionals, particularly in the suburbs surrounding Dallas and Houston and Fort Worth and San Antonio, and I think that this was a group that he didn't relate well to, and particularly women. Uh, yet they voted down the ticket. They voted for their Republican congressmen. They voted for their you know, Republican local officials. On the other hand, as you say, as you alluded to earlier, he picked up support among blue-collar working-class folk who had some college or high school educated. What's interesting to me is in the exit polls, he performs better, much better among people who, are, who have some college, meaning they've gone to a year or two, maybe they've gone to a community college, then, he does, then, then, he, then his improvement is bigger among them than it is among people with simply a high school education. People who spring from that kind of background but are more likely to, you know, they may have their own three-person plumbing business or they may, you know, work in a, you know, they, they, may, they may have their own lawn service or they, they may be work in a small enterprise as opposed to a big factory. So here in Texas, we'll be all right as long as we do what we have done in the past, and that is appeal to 40 or 45 percent of the Latino population. And so to our focus groups in San Antonio and Houston. As we found in Michigan earlier in the year, most of those who'd voted for President Trump still felt he was what the country needed and liked what they'd seen of him so far. I think Americans are just sick and tired of the same old, same old. I think they want something different. I think uh, it's been the last 12, 15 years of just the same crap thrown at you. And it, it, we're tired of it. We want to change. There were so many things. I mean, it got to where we couldn't even say Merry Christmas in America. Right. How do you feel about the choice that you made last year to vote for Trump? I, I feel good with my choice so far. I haven't seen anything that it would make me go vote otherwise if it came up again. Kind of really impressed with how much he's done in just a few months that he's been in office. I think it's a process. He has to, he's going to learn to conduct himself with the people that he has around him. And I think down the line that he will become more, as far as his behavior wise, more presidential as they say. Kind of get the tendency in my mind that there's nobody pulling his strings. Trump's making those decisions. He might get a little advice from a few of them, but I think ultimately he's already got it made up in his mind what he wants to do, and that's what he's doing. I like that. I want to say that he's, you know, crude and rude almost, but he's right about everything. You know, it's like he he's right about everything. He was right about the jobs, tax too much. You know, we need to see it in our paycheck instead of taking it from us. We're doing all the work and they're just spinning like nuts up there. For others, including some of his own voters, the way the president had gone about things in his first hundred days was more worrying than anything he was actually trying to do. The man is his own worst enemy. He does something where at least Republicans would say, OK, that's a good step, it's something positive. And then he'll go and put something on Twitter that makes him sound not so smart and kind of undo what he just did. 
I would say after he, you know, became the president, I personally thought that he would tweet less. When I saw that he's still tweeting and it's like the same like style and slight arrogance, I was like, okay, like you're not supposed to be tweeting, like you should just be taking care of business. I thought the, the authority of the position would humble him to some degree, but he's basically ridiculed the historical figure of the presidential position, in my opinion. He flies well, off and... and flaps his gums before he even thinks about what he's going to do properly, which is very scary. I figured it would be a bit more organized at, at the least, you know. Yeah. I thought if, if, you, if there's going to be a positive, it would be organization skills was my assumption, and it seems to be, you know, absolutely not the case. The people he's appointed to the, to the, to the high positions, they're all, they're all billionaires. They all have positions to protect. He doesn't care about any of the promising. Those were just those were stories he told. Some of them, yeah, they do play out. But more than that, it's it's keeping his friends and family and the money. He's a, he's a dictator in training. Nothing's getting accomplished. Everybody's fighting, and he's very erratic. And he always has been. He's a smart fellow, but he's all over the place, and you know doesn't sit well with the public not knowing what's going on, what's going to happen, and just kind of holding on to the edge of your seat. I think him trying to turn the American people against the media and saying it's fake news, like that's a horrible threat to our democracy because yeah. that's oh, what makes us a democracy, oh. is we have freedom of press, and he's just trying to spin it like they're the bad guys, and that's, I mean, they're here to tell us what's going on. We're not there, we don't see what's going on. And I think that that's really scary. I also feel like it's to discredit the media. So if shit crumbles between him and Russia and they expose everything, well, mm -hmm. I've been telling y'all that yeah, they're liars, you can't trust that them. they're fake news. Mm -hmm. So once they expose his banking or his debt or anything or his connections to Russia, well, I've been telling y'all it's fake news, just don't listen to it. And anyone around the table give me one good attribute for Donald Trump. He raised a, a good daughter. <laughs> a strong, nice, opinionated daughter. I see no redeeming factors in him whatsoever, none. If, if, he were, if, if he were a fly and someone squashed him on the table, I would use my shoe to clean him off. Many of his supporters said Trump was already delivering on his promise to bring back jobs to America, but there was concern that his approach to international trade could end up doing more harm than good. What about yeah. jobs? Has he done anything about jobs? Well, not yet. Yes. Yes. yes, he was already getting jobs before he ever... As well as some companies have already decided not to build elsewhere and build in the United States. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, I think the, so with, the, with Ford announcing that they were bringing back mm -hmm. the... Uh, bringing back the plants and uh, we had other companies as well other car companies coming back right. I think that's uh, very I think it was fascinating that just by announcing mm -hmm. uh, what Trump did uh, during the campaign and finally just putting in those executive orders that they they, they decided they were going to come back I think if anybody can do it he can do it mm -hmm. and that's because again his business background and that's one of the things that I really liked about it I believe that Trump is in in a place right now to um, to put in place certain laws and uh, embargoes and, and things like that that are going to force companies to maybe not come back to the U.S. but keep companies from going overseas. Yeah, our economy is not a uh, 
we're a service economy. We're already. I mean, he's he he promised all 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 these all these jobs back, but he's not he's not like the type to fight for labor unions. He's not. You know, he wants to cut Social Security, Medicare, all that. You know, he's, he's not, not for a working, working class. class. He's not for working yeah. man at all. And the jobs yeah. that the jobs that Mexico takes away if you want to say Mexico, are the ones that, that most U.S. Don't people don't want, <laughs> yeah. such, as, such as farm labor, people to, to pick the crops in the field. And it's not just that. It's, you know, clothes, clothes manufacturing. Go to Kohl's and get a shirt for $15, $20 because they're making it over in Asia. They're making it down. Well, to make it here in America, that same shirt's going to cost you right. $40 or $50, yeah. and we don't want to pay that as Americans. Healthcare continued to be a major worry for voters across the board. Many said they were frustrated that after years of campaigning for reform, the Republicans, particularly in Congress, didn't seem to have a workable plan ready to go. I own my own business, and so I had to do Obamacare. And so I was forced to do that. I don't get any of the credits, tax credits or anything like that, but like right now, it's a, the best that I could do is this HMO plan. I'm paying $700 a month um, for that particular health care, and yet it's just been a nightmare. Anytime I need to go to a doctor, I can't find a freaking doctor. It's almost like you have to be destitute in order to um, to get any of the benefits of some of these programs. You know, I I don't make a lot of money by any means, but I make enough money to where my my insurance premiums are almost a thousand dollars, no, over a thousand dollars for myself and my family. Is that a year? No, a month. So you get an MRI or X-ray. I mean, you know, it almost breaks you. Absolutely. You know, to try to do it. Uh, so if he can change that. I really was very much looking forward to Trump coming in and hopefully shaking things up. And so far what I've seen in his plan that didn't get approved anyway, but what I've seen is that it could be even worse in, as far as what I've seen. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They, we, they, were, they were already voted in years ago. Why, what is this, we don't have a, a plan to replace it yet. What is that about? Yeah, what, why, was, why was this piece of trash put forward to begin with? That's the question that I have. I think they spent a lot of years saying, like, we're going to get rid of it. And it was one of those things where they kept saying it and saying it. And then once they actually realized that they, it was like the time to do it, they were like, oh, we, we don't have a plan. We have to come up with one. I don't, I don't think they had a plan. I think a bunch of different people tried to make one, and then they couldn't make a consensus. No, it's Congress. I mean, Trump's been there 100 days. Congress has had eight years since it was passed to come up with a better option. There was wide support for the president's firm line on immigration, which many thought was already starting to show results. But these Texans were rather more skeptical about the idea of building a wall on the Mexican border. There's immigrants that come over and do things the right way, like your dad. And then there's immigrants that come here and basically just leech off the system. I grew up in a very poor neighborhood on the west side of San Antonio, and I saw illegals coming over, you know, in droves, and they'd all pile in the one house, they'd go work for the day, come home, send most of their money back to Mexico, and keep just enough to, you know, party and keep themselves going for the week, not contributing to, to our country and our system in any way, but sending all the money back to Mexico. And a lot of Hispanics did vote for Trump, you know? with the idea of immigrants, you know, kind of deal that a lot of Hispanics are upset with the fact that a lot of illegals are coming. There's always been talk of building a wall, and there are sections of wall that are built in Texas, and it doesn't solve 
any sort of problem, it creates more problems. Mm -hmm. It creates more issues because if you can't, you know, walk over the border or whatever, you're gonna dig tunnels under the border, you're gonna climb over, and then it's, you still, like, you need people manning that wall. I think some people really perceive that as being something that they, that would somehow super improve our country right, right away. They've got to see tangible results, so they want to see something yeah. like that. His and that's something orders. nice and physical, you yeah. can take a photo of it. Look, I did this thing. Finally, we talked about international affairs. Most of those who'd voted for President Trump in these groups strongly supported his actions in Syria and favoured what you might call a robust approach to foreign policy. Well, it's not the first time Syria has uh, done something like that from the reporting that we hear, mm -hmm. you know, and I think uh, that enough's enough, and we're just going to, you know, answer it one of these times and see what yeah. that does to it, and that's what he did, basically. Um, you're comfortable with that response? Yeah, I think he's, I think something needed to be done more than just verbally. We had to get their attention. They'll think twice. Time. I think he's kind of showing him and he's not going to put up with any crap. He did the right thing. I am proud of him for doing what he did and the way he handled it. The dude is crazy. The, the Kim Jong-un? He's, he's a, a nut. He he's asking for it. Right. He's totally asking. <laughs> and I wish we could just, just go over there and just... <laughs> You know, just do away with the whole North Korea because it's just baloney. He just poisoned somebody in his own family. It's ridiculous. At the like, airport. Are you He's kidding? a crazy man. He's so a crazy man. He laughs but when there's a fire. He laughs when his uh, rockets go off. If there's a way to do a very surgical strike on the missiles, the missile sites, and wherever they might have the nuclear weapons stored, That'd be a good thing. You need to show that America is still strong and, right. and uh, not this weak country that everybody in the world seems to think we are now. I think he's saying dad's home and we're not going to do this anymore. Somebody has to be in charge. It has to be us. And that's what he's saying. When Trump won, we America won and the whole world won. For others, the biggest worries were the way decisions were being made. The administration's relations with Russia, whether too hostile or too close, and the effects of Trump's foreign policy on America's traditional alliances. I like that he's like willing to handle stuff quickly, but I don't know if he's will is he's doing it in a smart way. You know, with with the recent attacks on Syria, and then you know what he's about to do to North Korea, and then what he did in uh, what he did in Afghanistan. I mean, yes, these are problems that need to be taken care of, but I don't know. I think he's acting too quick on it. I'm a bit torn between it because I, I think it was justified, but at the same time, um, I guess he 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 didn't really come out and say, "This is why we did it. This is why I had to get involved." And I would have felt more comfortable with her making the decision because I would be confident that she has she has taken all of her advisors' opinions into. In, whereas, I swear, I think Trump Trump probably just went, "Hey, let's bomb Syria and see what that happens." Yeah, they, I'm very uncomfortable with his uh, connections to Russia and, and some of the people in his administration. I, I, I don't trust Russia. I don't think we should ever trust Russia, so I, I have a real problem with that. I think maybe the Syria action, the bombing in Syria could be seen as like the first time that he's actually gone against Putin. I think he's spent a lot of time talking about how much he admires him. Rick Tillerson, who he chose as Secretary of State, has close ties with Russia. He's kind of gone against Russia because it seemed like during the beginning, you know, and during the uh, 
election that everybody was saying Russia was helping him out, Russia was helping him out, even though we really didn't know. Um, but now it seems like we have, what, one of the worst relationships with Russia we've had in a long time, they're saying? Really, I mean, if anything, I think he's going to maybe try and show vote and then screw us over by ruining ties we already have. Well, it seems like that, that all our traditional allies are being alienated. And it has to do with him and has to do with Pence as well. And it really undermines trade negotiations and discussions and really sets us back as a country. So, Kevin, these were some really interesting focus groups, just especially to learn how Trump supporters view the start of President Trump's time in the Oval Office. They really are excited. They think that America under Donald Trump is better. They think that he's brought more law and order. And they think that he's sending a tougher message to the world. And one participant put it as dad's home. Donald Trump has arrived and he's cleaning up and they really see this as a positive. You know, in contrast, though, independents and Democrats certainly don't see Donald Trump's presidency as a positive, but they also aren't seeing, you know, the next four years as unleashing utter chaos. They think that probably America will be about the same when Donald Trump either is reelected or leaves office. One thing we did hear again and again, though, including from some people who voted for him, that they, was that they wish he'd stop tweeting. They think that's a distraction from what he's doing. And even when he does something good and positive, he takes the attention away from that um, by, by getting onto his Twitter at four o'clock in the morning. His opponents can't really make up their mind whether he's a clown who doesn't know what he's doing or if the apparent chaos is a smokescreen for some terrible, nefarious master plan. And that's really kind of where people are when it comes to Russia, especially those who believe that there was some kind of Trump campaign collusion with Russia during the election to try to help defeat Hillary Clinton. Just the debate over Russia's involvement in the 2016 election and the Trump administration's ties to Russia is divided strictly on partisan lines. You know, Republicans who voted for Trump really see the Russia allegations as fake news. And Democrats, you know, see the Russia influence in everything, including the decision to strike in Syria and to, as quote, one participant put it, warn Putin ahead of time. Yeah, on Syria, I think most people think he ended up making the right decision. But apart from his supporters, quite a lot of them worried that he came up with this decision almost at random. And they they've thought even if Hillary had would have ended up doing the same thing, she'd have somehow done it for better and more coherent reasons. On North Korea, I think um, that some of the Trump supporters seem quite ready to to get stuck in already. Um, But I think we found that most people didn't really see North Korea as a a tangible threat to the U.S. yet. Well, and so the serious strikes were one of the most popular actions that President Trump has taken, along with the nomination of Justice Neil Gorsuch. And then the other big issues are immigration, jobs, and health care. And with immigration, Trump supporters really feel like Donald Trump has ushered in this return to law and order by actually enforcing immigration laws. And that's something that Texas Democrats support also, enforcing the laws that are already on the book. And, you know, Texas Trump supporters, they do not see this wall happening. They say, uh, you know, if you're from Texas, you know that even Donald Trump doesn't have that much power. They just see this as an impossible action to actually fulfill. Then looking at jobs, Trump voters really are optimistic that the economy is going to continue to grow. They like the tax plan. They like that Donald Trump is hopefully going to be keeping less of their paychecks and 
funnel it in, into government. And, you know, ultimately, Trump voters, though, do expect for him to deliver some kind of results on health care, repealing Obamacare, improving Obamacare. They do expect to see something. They don't blame him for the failure of the initial bill in Congress, but they do expect for there to be some action in the future. And on all these things, it's important to remember, as we've seen before, that they do have quite high expectations for what he's going to be able to do over four years. And if his unorthodox, tweeting, slightly chaotic approach means he's shaking things up and getting things done, that's good. If they decide they're getting chaos but no delivery, I think that would be bad. And if they eventually conclude that the chaos is preventing the delivery, that would be quite a lot worse and he'll have quite a challenge on his hands. And there's much debate over, is there actually a plan or not from Trump supporters and those who oppose him? There is a huge divide amongst everyone over does this president have a plan and does he know what he's going to do? And some people are fine without that plan and they trust his instincts and then others are quite scared. Julian Castro is a former Democratic mayor of San Antonio and served in President Obama's cabinet as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Lord Ashcroft asked him how he saw the future of his party, both in Texas and nationally, and whether he himself planned to take on President Trump in 2020. As a Democrat, you won't have had high hopes for the administration, but how do you think things are going compared to what you expected? Well, there's no question that... Uh that this administration's first uh, 100 days have been much more chaotic and more inventive uh, than just about any other presidential first 100 days in the modern era. Uh, also, I think uh, there's a lack of professionalism. So for me, of course, you know, as a Democrat, uh, I didn't have high hopes, I didn't have high expectations, and in that sense, uh, so far, the administration is meeting my expectations because they weren't very high to begin with, uh, and actually, in, in many cases, they're underperforming my expectations and the expectations of a lot of, American, of Americans who at least hoped that President Trump would surround himself with folks that do have experience that uh, are first rate, that know what they're doing. Uh, not only is he inexperienced and, uh, and and I think erratic and all over the place, but he's also surrounded himself with folks that are similar. And, and that's added up to uh, a big mess. I mean, you uh, served in uh, President Obama's uh, cabinet as Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development. And what do you think the most important parts of the Obama legacy and how far do you feel they're now under threat? I think it's both put back. There's no, no doubt that uh, healthcare is probably the biggest part of the Obama legacy. He was a groundbreaking president uh, just because of, of who Barack Obama is. Uh, the work that was done to try and expand opportunity, whether in education, uh, getting the economy going again, getting us out of a recession. Uh, he basically took the United States at a very low point and he turned it around with the help of so many people across the nation. Uh, that's under threat, whether it's healthcare, which is probably the best example, uh, or it's his work on the environment or on education, all of it across the board now that we have uh, a Republican president and a Republican controlled Congress is under threat. Uh, 
how successful they'll be over the next 18 months before there's another election that may be uh, turn at least the House of Representatives back over to the Democrats. We'll see. So far, they haven't been very successful outside of a few executive orders that have gotten a lot of attention. But, uh, but they still have a year and a half of total control of Washington. And one policy area that is particularly relevant to uh, Texas is the proposed border wall with Mexico. How do you see that debate playing out? And do you think the wall will be built? I think that um, some of the building of fencing that is uh, already happening, you know, there is some fencing along the border now. I have no doubt that some of that is going to continue. I find it hard to believe that there's ever going to be a wall that completely... Uh, separates the United States. I don't believe ultimately that you'll have a complete wall across the border. Uh, either way, uh, the direction that uh, Donald Trump is taking this nation in when it comes to uh, immigration is the wrong direction. Uh, first of all, Mexico is a tremendously important trading partner and he's poisoning the well of that relationship. Uh, we already see retail sales in Texas and in other states dropping at a time when otherwise that you know they should be rising um, we see the perception of the United States uh, in other countries falling again like they did a decade ago under President Bush so it's my hope that uh, that his vision of that wall will not come to pass now some look at the long-term demographic changes in Texas and see the chance for Democrats to make inroads um, do you think the state is heading towards being in play for Democrats in national elections? And if so, how long do you think this would take? Uh, I do think uh, that the state is moving uh, closer to being competitive. A good example of that is uh, Harris County, which has Houston. It's the largest county in Texas. Uh, in 2012, Obama beat Romney there by about 912 votes in 2016, Clinton beat Trump there by 120,000 votes. And in addition, she took suburban Fort Bend County, which has traditionally been a Republican county. In all, Texas was one of just a handful of states that performed better for the Democrat this year than it did in 2012. It was 6.7 points better for Clinton, Texas was than it had been for Obama four years earlier. And so it's moving in the right direction. It's just such a large state that it's not gonna, it's not gonna shift over uh, as quickly as places like uh, Virginia or Colorado uh, did over the last 15 years. But you know, I suspect that in the 2018 cycle, it'll get a little bit better, and then 2020, it'll get better. And by 2024, I think it's gonna be very competitive. I mean, my polling has found that the most politically active and engaged section of Democrat supporters are also the most liberal and progressive, and their outlook is furthest from that of the kind of people who turned out for Trump in November. I mean, is there a danger that the Democratic Party will now turn in a direction that makes it less rather more likely that you'll win these voters back? I'm not afraid of that. Uh, I mean, we have to remember that 2.8 million more people voted for uh, Hillary Clinton than voted for Donald Trump. Uh, we have to remember that 
that Democrats were trying to hold the presidency for a third term. That was always going to be difficult. So I've never been on the camp in, in the camp that says the sky is falling. I do think that we need to be a big tent party. Uh, I think that we need to recognize that not everybody is going to have the same beliefs on every single issue. Obviously, I can see that as somebody that uh, has grown up and, and has been active in public service in Texas. And so we have to take an inclusive approach. Um, you, you can't, you don't want to repeat the stranglehold that the Tea Party had on Republicans uh, for the last several years, where there's an orthodoxy, and if you don't live up to every single tenet of that orthodoxy, then you just, you're just not accepted. Um, I don't think that's the best course, but I don't see Democrats doing that. Uh, I do think that we're going to be a big tech party going forward. And finally, a question which I'm sure you've been asked a few times and you must have a standard answer to that. You've been described in the media as the Latino Obama, and you're often mentioned as a potential Democratic nominee for president in 2020. How tempting a prospect is that? Well, you know, I've I've been straightforward with folks. I said that I'm not going to take that off the table. Um, We haven't even gotten 2018 now yet. Uh, and we're still in the first 100 days of this administration. And so, like everybody else, I'm going to do everything that I can to work hard to make sure that that uh, there's some balance in Congress uh, after the 2018 elections. I was just in Georgia campaigning for John Ossoff, was trying to win a special election there. Uh, and then I'll take a look uh, and, and uh, engage whether that's something that I want to pursue. And that's it for this edition of Ashcroft in America. Keep tweeting us with your comments, questions and thoughts using the hashtag Ashcroft in America and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And you can check out Lord Ashcroft's book on the presidential election called Hopes and Fears. You can get it from Amazon or direct from bitebackpublishing.com. All our research is published at lordashcroftpolls.com and you can keep up to date on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening to Ashcroft in America and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 